I, I want to just kind of give a little bit of reminders. We've got a lot of stuff going on with our youth group. Our interns are already tired. Uh, I don't know what to tell, about, tell them, uh, but it only gets rougher from here. So uh, We've got a lot of things. Every Thursday night, we've got a summer youth series. Uh, we're going to different area churches in Paragould, Bono, uh, Hoxie. Um, and, and we're worshiping with those churches. And it's been a really uh, great blessing in years past, and we're looking forward to get to it again this year. Uh, we also have our summer camp coming up. We've got Uplift at Harding. So we've got a ton of things. So be watching some of the social media pages if you're following those, and uh, be watching for some pictures up on these things and some pictures in the bulletin and, and everything else of some of the great stuff that our kids are doing uh, You'd really be surprised with the, the things that our kids are able to do. Well, this, this evening we're going to be talking about our image. And I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it, but we're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives Him the greatest joy. So I want you to know that this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy, and when you come to church, when you worship Him, and when you're not doing it for God, you're doing it for yourself, because that's what makes God happy. Does anybody have any idea, before I uh, get taken off this stage, uh, does anybody have any, uh, have, has anybody ever heard that mentality before? I'll tell you, there was a, that is actually a verbatim quote from a lesson that I had, that I had read about. Um, and I want you to know there was more than 2 million views on that YouTube video of that sermon. And that was the message was that God wants you to be happy. And that is what makes him happy. Uh, as long as you're doing it for yourself then God is great with it. Uh, he's also one of the most well-known preachers in the United States. And uh, in my opinion, and I think the Bible's opinion, uh, everything that was said is completely false. We should all know that that message is not true. And it's okay if you don't, but I'm going to tell you why it's not true. We come here to worship God with our hearts and our minds and our souls, not to make ourselves happy but in response to the grace that God has offered to us. Because he is the creator of everything that we have around us. We serve a God that is greater than our personal happiness. God does, not, does want us to be happy. Don't get me wrong. He does want us to be happy. But when being happy conflicts with being holy, I think God has a problem with it. Because our world today is so self-absorbed. In case you didn't know, we are all brand managers. There's already seen some people in their youth groups. I've seen people that are adults. I've seen some of the people, uh, but we are all brand managers. We all make sure that our brand is televised and that we're putting commercials on it. And we make sure that we have an Instagram and we post on it every day or every other day. Or we make sure we have a Twitter or we make sure we have a Facebook. And we all post pictures of the greatest moments in our lives and we try to share them with people. In some cases, we do it not because we want people to be informed, but because we want everyone to know where we've been and what we're doing and how great we are. 
And I'm guilty of this too. Sometimes we have to control our image. We don't want people to only see who we are, but we want people to see who God is. If you will, open up to Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Open up there with me. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. It says, And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days he'll be raised again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of God. Of man. Peter, uh, he's one of my favorite people because I feel like I'm a lot like him. I overreact to everything. Uh, he's the guy who kind of goes all in and he just reacts to many things without thinking everything through. We see this kind of behavior with him very often throughout the gospel. And when Jesus is walking on the water, Peter steps out. He doesn't even think about it. He just steps out and he starts walking on the water too until, Jesus, or until he falls. And Jesus has to help him out. And when Jesus is being arrested, what does Peter do? He acts like a lot like I would have in the situation. He's my friend. I'm not going to let you take him away. So Peter cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest, Malchus. And then Peter is always doing things that are like that. Yet again, he's being the Peter that we all know and love. And he's saying that he would never let anything happen to Jesus, the Son of God. We can pick up on that by reading through the scriptures and we can see the way that Peter behaves and we can put together a somewhat accurate depiction of the kind of person that he is. When we think about others, we do the same things as well. We talk about how people's personalities are different. We talk about our own, or we talk about our interests, our favorite teams, our favorite music. We give off this persona of who we are but by wearing certain clothes or using certain products. We do certain things because of the interests that we have. And that's okay, and that's great, but that doesn't always reflect the way that God has created us. Because we are all so very different. I think this is one of the joys and awesome things. And yes, I'm using awesome in the right term, even for Spencer. This is one of the most awesome things about our church. In this one auditorium, we have people of all ages, varying ethnicities, different cultures, different hair colors, body styles, so many different interests. My type of music, which is mostly bluegrass, is much more different from some of the other people's types of music. My favorite movies are different from your favorite movies. Yet we all are here with all these differences and all these backgrounds, and we are here for the same reason and only God can bring together people of so many varying backgrounds and cultures and give them love for each other we're given this gift of individuality by God and he wants us to be ourselves if in if an Alabama fan and an Arkansas fan and an Auburn fan can get along then I think something's going right at this church God wants us to show others who we are, and that doesn't mean that I believe it's possible for an Alabama fan to be a Christian, <laughs> or Yankee fans for that matter. 
But it is great that we can all be friends and we can all enjoy each other and we can all see each other for who we, for who we are. But he gives Peter here a heads up in this scripture. We've heard this many times before in our lives, but at this time, while Jesus was telling Peter this, it was the first time this was ever said. We hear the saying a lot, but we have to go back and think. This is the first time this was ever said. It was the first time this idea had been brought up. And notice what Jesus does first after he rebukes Peter. He not only addresses Peter to to teach him his lesson, but he addresses and calls out to the crowd and to his disciples. He sees this as a great opportunity to address something that really needs to be taught. Try to think back to when you first understood the tremendous task of denying yourself. And Jesus says in verse 34, And calling to the crowd with his his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." Sometimes we get so caught up in the things of today that we lose sight of what is actually important. Sure, we love music and we love movies and video games and board games and sports. We have so many interests and we care about so, so much about our teams. I've already congratulated a lot of Arkansas fans on tonight's win. But we also get into arguments over who the best basketball player is when it really doesn't matter it's Michael Jordan, by the way. In case it, we get into arguments over who is better between Arkansas and Auburn, which is obviously Auburn, uh, and our passions are all getting mixed up. When we get together with friends and acquaintances, do they know that you're a fan of a certain team before they know that you're a follower of Christ? If so, to me, that's just kind of sad. There's nothing wrong with having a favorite team or having certain interests. That's fine, but you don't want that to be your image. You don't want that to be the first thing that people see and know about you. As I always tell our teenagers, when I was growing up, I wanted my image to be that I was a Holly Pond basketball player, and I was a good basketball player in high school. Notice I said in high school. I was really good in high school. And that was my image. And then that, that phase of my life was over. We lost our final game. It was over. The, the season was, was over, and I, I didn't know who I was. And it took a lot of work to realize that I was something more than just a basketball player. Or I was something, I'm, I'm something more than just an Auburn fan or a Boston Red Sox fan. Let's take a look at someone who really just nails it. This is someone who really nails it when we think of the idea of image. John the Baptist was someone that had everything figured out. John did not care what about what other people thought about him. Here's a good picture of him eating some locusts, in case y'all were wondering if what his diet consisted of. In in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, it tells us how he was dressed and what he ate. I think the reason that was told was so that we would A, pick up that he was some kind of a wanderer 
Okay, he, he kind of traveled from place to place. But B, because he just, we really didn't care. He didn't care what people thought about him. It says, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. This was not a normal thing for people to wear and people to do. I'm sure that people looked at John the Baptist as someone who was just a little bit crazy. He wore camel skin. He ate locusts and wild honey. He was probably not the most popular or the best looking person in Jerusalem. But he did know his image. He knew his responsibility. In John chapter 3 verse 27, we get to see a pretty good picture of who John was and what kind of person he was. In verse 27, it says that John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John understood his image. He understood his responsibility. Sure, he was Jesus' cousin. His birth was announced by angels. He preached repentance and baptized countless individuals, including our Savior, Jesus Christ. He was the person that was getting a lot of attention because of the way he was teaching and the things that he was teaching and the, th the things that he was doing. The guy was making a path for Jesus and he understood what he needed to do. He must increase, I must decrease. How often do we see that in our world today? Almost never. The biggest part of this is almost identical to what Jesus tells his disciples in Mark that we just read about. But this was coming from John. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist no longer wants the attention he doesn't need the attention. His job is done. He has prepared the way. John wants his life to point to Jesus. He knows that if anything about his life takes away from Jesus, that he is not fulfilling his duty as a follower of God. John the Baptist understood that his popularity was nothing to do with himself. He pointed toward God. He pointed everything toward God. He gave God the attention. And God showed him the path that he was to create. And he did it extraordinarily well. He paved the way for the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 11, or chapter 3, verse 11, it says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I am. His sandals I am not even worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John knew what image he wanted to portray. He knew what needed to be taught, and he showed people who Jesus was and how he was coming to them. He knew the greatness of his Savior. And then when Jesus comes, and a few verses later in verse 13, it says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need not be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him and said, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So John consented. I love that in verse 14 we see John's intention. We see that the intention was to prevent Jesus from letting John baptize him. 
Jesus knew that John was faithful to his calling. He knew that what John was going to say and how he was going to keep himself from being the baptizer instead of the baptized. But Jesus knew his thoughts. Jesus tells him that it needed to happen this way. Only then did John obey and consent, and he baptized the Messiah. In our lives, how often do we show who we are before we show who God is? How often do we care more about how we look to others instead of showing others what God looks like? We must find ways to give our God the attention that he, that he deserves because we too have a great responsibility. We have the responsibility of John. We get to point people to who the Savior is. Each day that we don't teach others about our Savior is a wasted day. We can still enjoy our lives. We can still have our interests and our hobbies and other things to fill up our time here on earth, but we need to understand that God is our main message. We want others to know that we are Christians before they know that we're Arkansas fans or Auburn fans, that that is God's calling for us. He wants us to be more like John. And we need to understand our calling and our responsibility. Tonight, if you feel that you've put on many things in your life and you've put those things ahead of God, we're here for you. If you need prayers from the church in uh, any other reason, for, or if you would like to become a Christian, there's no better time to do that than right now as we stand and as we sing.